the podcast for women in film and television. Hi, welcome to the WIFT Austin podcast. I'm Christine Hagen-Young, and joining us today is Jennifer Hutchins. Jennifer Hutchins is an award-winning producer here in Austin, Texas. She's worked on a variety of hit shows, such as Chris Angel Mind Freak, Ghost Hunters, Slow Mo Guys, and most recently, Richard Linklater's CBS all-access show, That Animal Show, filmed right here in Austin. Uh, Jennifer has also worked on multiple films, including Most Likely to Die and Time Toys, as well as founded Austin Entertainment Business, and also finds time in her busy schedule somehow to consult with other professionals getting a leg up in the business. Welcome, Jennifer. It's great to speak with you today. Hey, thank you for having me in the Zoom box where we are. (laughs) I know, it's our new life in this tiny box. So just getting to know you, um, how did you get your start in the industry? I used to be a journalist and my first job was for CBS News in Michigan. When I moved out, I moved out to Los Angeles pretty early in my career. I worked at the newsroom for about a year, realized I didn't want to do news, but I still wanted to tell stories. And so I went out to Hollywood and met a couple of producers that started mentoring me into producing because I had no idea what that was at the time and just worked my way up through uh, various positions and was really hungry at a young age just to learn everything. And having the journalist experience kind of gives you the same sort of skill set for producing nonfiction series. You, you're a storyteller, you can shoot, you can edit, you can write and direct. So a lot of the same skills that kind of transfer over. So that was the beginning. And the, one of the first series was Chris Angel Mind Freak, which was very lucky. It went on for over a hundred episodes and specials. Wow. That's a long time for a reality show to go. Yeah. Yeah. What has been like the weirdest experience you've had working in reality? Well, working for a magician is I think weird all the time. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> You know, it was kind of like being a kid in Candyland uh, because no matter how weird something was, we would try to then make it happen. So I remember we were doing um, kind of a funny moment uh, after Chris had walked up the side of the Luxor. You know, there's people all over the place, cab drivers driving by, just people walking by on the road and they're like, what? How do you do that? Because if you've ever tried to walk up the side of the Luxor, which is a triangle, um, you realize really quick that you can't, (laughs) you just fall off of it. So afterwards, it's kind of a little closing to the show. I thought it'd be so cool if, because he lived at the top of the pyramid and he had all these light switches. And it'd be so cool if he didn't know which light switch did what and he hit the wrong one and the light went off. You know, and that, that light at the Luxor goes to outer space. So I, I made the strangest phone call to the president of the Luxor at the time. And I said, could we turn off the light just for a little bit? <laughs> and they, they, ended, they ended up letting us do it. So it was oh, wow. Chris turned off the light of the whole Luxor by accident. Hopefully that never happened again. So no, that'd be interesting. <laughs> Were you on set for any of the ghost shows that you've produced? I noticed that you've produced a lot of paranormal docuseries. I have told a ghost to stop following me before. I've been slime. And I thought I was locked into a room uh, because I heard the lock close, but I wasn't. And that that was very strange. And then I also heard a voice clear as day, me, the camera and audio guy, we looked at each other with white faces, go, the memories. And it was just the creepiest thing I'd ever heard. We were in the middle of the night in a mental institution in Virginia that had been closed down for many years. It was 20,000 square feet. 
and we were up in the women's ward and um, there was nothing happening. And I, I whispered over to the people that were on camera and I said, maybe you should ask questions towards a male. Cause you know, at the time that this would have been open, there probably would have been more male nurses. And as soon as they did that, just spine tingling, male voice heard loudest day going, the memories, like very creepy. Like he was satisfied of something horrible. And, wow. and it's like, if you're going to, if you're going to punk somebody like you, th that just seems like a weird thing to think of. Right. But there, there was only five people in the room and we were like, oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> and then you continue to work on ghost shows after that. That didn't like deter you. Oh, yeah. that. You know, I found when I started to, to get creeped out or scared, and, and I especially was in this place up North in New York in this little town called Boonville. And it was over a 200 year old bed and breakfast and the bottom part is like a bar and eatery and you know banquet facility, very, very huge place. And um, the higher up you go there, the creepier it gets. And they had kept all these collectibles from all these people that had stayed there throughout the years that just left stuff. And they just like set up rooms like the 1800s with people's real items that were, you know, further. Mm -hmm further up and they would open it on Halloween and stuff in the f upper floors that they didn't allow the public to stay in anymore. But uh, anyways, I, I I was going down the stairs and I almost jumped out of my skin like, oh, excuse me. Like I thought I had run into somebody that was going up the stairs. And then I realized nobody is there. And then I just had that same feeling like somebody's standing here with me and just without even thinking about it, I said, you need to stop. I'm doing a story about you telling your story, giving you good PR, like stop creeping me out. And as soon as I said that out loud, it was like I took the control and, and you know, it wasn't scary anymore. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's a whole different skill set that like you didn't think you need. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, did, I did so many of these ghost stories because there was a lot of scouts too that we ended up not uh, going with those particular stories. But, you know, I would scout three to five places in person across the country per one story that got picked up. And so I'd seen hundreds of houses and facilities and whatever that were reportedly haunted. And I got so good at figuring out, or just having the feeling of the place that uh, the, the guy that was the main cast, he, he was a, a big sensitive and, um, you know, he, spirits would talk to him and he, he's very legit into the science of it. it, comes from a very long family of people that have been doing this for many years. And uh, so he'd show up and he'd go, all right, Hutch, haunted or not? And I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to hit the fan on this one. And usually I was correct. He's like, you are correct 100%, Jen. <laughs> or I'd be like, no, this place is not haunted. Sorry. <laughs> but I, I always knew just from walking in there. Awesome and also terrifying. Um... Yeah, I, I eventually <laughs> on, on the to-do list is to write a book about the psychology of hauntings because you start to notice things that correlate uh, with each other on haunted or not. That's good to know. People would really benefit from that, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think people have more power than they think they do. You know, and that's true. That's true for anything. And that's the reason I founded Austin Entertainment Business, which uh, I opened up globally now that we've been in a pandemic and called it all entertainment business. But it's simply to empower people and, you know, have conversations and talk about war stories and talk about you know, what went good and what went bad so that people can be more comfortable with this, this business of the entertainment business. I mean, it's a business first and foremost, but you know, you got to take it by the reins and learn it and be powerful and 
not be afraid to reach out to people and ask for help. So, you know, I think that's just part of life that we have to keep reminding ourselves that you have more power than you think. That's really important, I think, right now. Do you see any kind of trends that are coming up in reality or docu-series? Uh, right now, people are really wanting to watch feel-good sort of programming. You know, we're going through a really hard time globally right now, and whether you realize it or not, you're being affected probably harder than you think by it. You know, your your daily life has been turned upside down, and you know, there's a lot of negative things happening in this world. So, at the end of the day, the networks are finding people are less likely to watch something really dark or you know, the timing for our show was good. It's about, you know, fluffy, cute animals getting rescued and rescuing um, human beings as well. Like that's kind of the twist of the story is, uh, you know, while they, the, the, the people are rescuing the animals, the animals are actually rescuing the people. Um, so, and it's doing well, I mean, because people want to see that sort of, you know, feel good right now. You've had a lot of different experiences as far as, you know, different shows and movies that you've worked on. Have you ever gotten starstruck or do you get starstruck by people that you work with? I would say there was, we were shooting a segment and this, this is not your typical answer you're going to think, but um, we were shooting this episode with Louis Anderson and Kevin Farley and Chris Angel was doing some magic at a bowling alley with them. And um, I was directing the scene because he was on camera and um, there was various times where uh, Louie and Kevin were walking to me separately, you know, was I funny enough or do you think I should adjust or what should I do? And so I was like, no, I think leaning into it like you were doing is working. And, you know, so I, I was working with them on their comedic performances. And at the end of it, I was kind of reflecting on the day and I'm like, wait a minute, did I just direct Louie Anderson and Kevin Farley, two really funny guys? And I'm a huge fan of Louie from Coming to America. I don't know if you remember the French mm -hmm. movie. Uh, but uh, anyways, that was just kind of like a, like a celebrity drop my mouth feeling like, oh, wait, they're here and I'm here, but we were here together. Like, that was nice. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. You can't say that you've done that like every day. Like that's the top tier of comedy, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, I think it's those little moments that you, it, you realize like, oh, I'm a professional that deserves to be here too. Like they're not right. here and I'm here. Like we're here. Right. You guys are together. That's like incredible. So since you were in LA and then Las Vegas for a while, what brought you to Austin? I was working for Dr. Phil and that show was about to go on hiatus. And I saw um, another show that was popping up in Austin. They were looking for producers and my family had relocated from Michigan. And so I've been coming back and forth to Austin for 10 years and loved Austin. So I thought, oh, you know, I'll just put it out to the universe, see, you know, if, it, if they come back with interest and if they do, like, maybe I should be in Austin. So they did. And they said, you know, when can you start? And um, it was a six month contract. And so I um, started pretty soon thereafter and um, got a six month lease and then realized I really liked Austin. I didn't like that particular job. And I won't mention what job that is, <laughs> but um, uh, it brought me to Austin and then I, I continued on. And it's, it's such a neat community and culture because it's, it's like where I grew up in Michigan with really nice people uh, meets the entertainment business. So it's kind of the best of both worlds, I think. As a fellow Austin List member, you know that our motto is to connect, support, and empower 
which is great for us as women because we all know the entertainment industry can be pretty cutthroat, even here in Austin. So how important is it for filmmakers, especially in a close-knit community like we are here in Austin, to be supportive and help each other within the industry? You know, I have a, a small group of people that I've worked with over the years in LA and in Austin and New York that we continue to support each other when we're not working with each other, we're giving each other advice or help. I get daily messages from women and men that, hey, I'm starting a new project, you know, somebody that I should contact, a DP, makeup, wardrobe, choreographer. So we're, we're constantly just kind of connecting and staying on the vibe with each other, you know, and I think it's always good to, to have a mentor, multiple mentors, and also be mentoring somebody else too. I think that's really important. You know, on, on the uh, the animal rescue show that I just did, we had more women than, than men on that show, almost in every department. And we didn't purposely say we're gonna hire more women. We looked at every single application and went with the most qualified people. And oh my gosh, let me tell you, it was just such a beautiful production to work on for an, an, almost an entire year. We didn't have any sort of sour puss in the office. Everybody just flowed so great. And we just had fun doing it. It's really nice when you can find that community within your show and really feel like you're making something special. Yeah, you know, one, one of the things I uh, really started getting me, you know, not just because I'm a mother, because for many years I thought I'd never have a kid. And I was like, I hate it when parents use the excuse of children and they can't do the job because I have a life and I have things that I have to handle too. And what was interesting on set with all the producers, some of the producers would say, hey, I've got to go take care of my kids. You know, I've got to leave early and whatever. I said, you know, here's the thing. At the end of the day, I don't care as long as you're getting the job done. But don't take advantage of it because Max, the assistant over there that's only 22 years old, he's got aged parents that could use his help. You know, so if he starts to take advantage of that, how is that fair? You know, so I think I think we have to just make sure that we respect, you know, everybody's sort of needs. So on your Texas Animal Show, that is like the coolest show. I watched the trailer the other day. What was it like working on a show about Texas? with Texas legends like Richard Linklater and Dr. Phil with these amazing Texas institutions. What was that like? So so Richard is a, a huge professional. I mean, when you see him in action, first off, he shows up to set and he's just a super nice guy. And secondly, he you can tell he's really thought out his vision ahead of time and you know planned what he wants to do, but he's just really great at capturing human emotion. If you've ever seen his film, Bernie, you know, there's these old aged women being interviewed and they're smoking a cigarette while doing the interview. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of that sort of just real human depiction that uh, came over into the show too. You know, somebody's holding a giant rooster and petting it while they're being interviewed. And, you know, you're just really capturing people in their elements. But it was, it was really nice because Austin is just known as Austin Weird. And, uh, we got to kind of see the real inside of that 
world. You know, you've got Pepe the goat herder at Gesture King who has a barn out back where he lives and he raises baby goats and he goes on mile runs with them. Or you've got the pig rescue place out towards Bass Trop that rescues hundreds of pigs every year. And actually that's what um, inspired Richard for the whole series. It was originally gonna be called Year of the Pig. Um, and he, he even adopted one of those pigs. And oh, wow. uh, they've adopted a lot of the pigs uh, that a lot of them were uh, originally bought as potbelly pigs that were marketed that to people that thought they were gonna get this little pig. Well, there's no such thing as a little pig. <laughs> so these little pigs eventually grew into a giant, you know, 200 pound pig, and then they give them away. And so there ends up these places that have all these giveaway pigs. So it's interesting. There's all these pig parents now around Austin that are adopting all these pigs. So we ended up making two episodes about that culminating in a pig pageant in the city of Mueller, where like a thousand people showed up to watch these pet pig owners um, show off their best in show. And they were wearing tutus and like the, the theme was Mardi Gras. Oh, it, it was it was so neat. <laughs> oh my gosh, that sounds adorable. I'm glad y'all got to capture it too. Yeah. And, you know, our sets were completely vegan, which at first we thought, oh, gosh, are the crew going to be OK with this? But, you know, the crew ended up being really fine with it. A lot of them turned vegan and a lot of them would walk up and say, I feel so much healthier. I've lost weight. And, you know, we were we were really uh, careful to find a good caterer that could make like super yummy hot meals for everybody every day. Not every day you hear just like a completely vegan set. That's awesome. Are there any other celebrity directors or just celebrities in general that you would like to work with? The next phase chapter of my life that I'm heading into is I have all these wonderful independent films that have some really great celebrities attached to them or upcoming directors or already established directors. So I've been working really hard with some, some key folks around the country to uh, lock in the money so that we can start greenlighting all of these. And we have a plan to do a slate of just women films. We have a plan to do a slate of stuff we can just pull to Texas. That's, that's the next step. That's very exciting. So there are literally a thousand that I'm looking at going, oh my gosh, I want to work with that person and that person, and that person, and that person. I saw your um, new documentary is coming up. Is that your next big project? When we were doing the animal rescue show, I came across um, a guy that has relocated from Portland to Austin that was sitting on over 30 hours of footage that he had filmed um, himself about his family, just home video footage, cell phone, laptop, you know, video camera. And what started out as just normal family life depictions, he started noticing that his wife was changing, especially after she got in a really bad car accident. And so she was on a lot of medication. So they thought, okay, she's just acting a little weird from the medication. But then there was something above that that was a little weird. And she started forgetting what she was doing. So he would videotape her and say, like, look at this. And, it, and the videos became very hard for her to watch. She's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot that I was acting so weird or so crazy. And then it just got worse and worse and worse. And then he started videotaping uh, because he was thinking, oh my God, I like, I don't want my family to break apart, but she's dangerous now. And she could hurt our child that we have. And I might have to go to court and do a, a child custody thing. So what was happening is she'd gone many years undiagnosed with bipolar and she was having real manic highs and real depressed lows. And he had captured this, the whole progression 
and it's really, really hard to watch, but it's very rare that you get a story that's not being told to you, but it's being shown to you. And after he showed it to me, I just, it haunted me for days and I just couldn't not do it. And I ended up showing it to the other director that was also on the animal rescue show, Bill Gutentag. He's won a couple of Oscars in the documentary world. And he looked at it and he said, oh my God, I'm in. Anyways, we're, we're in the process of finalizing uh, fundraising for that. And uh, uh, hopefully we'll be in edits by uh, February or March and make it to the film festival, the first film festival that will hopefully be in person, which we believe will be Toronto. Well, congrats. And it's called Bipolar? Is that the name of yeah, it? Yeah, the working title right now is just Bipolar, but it's bipolardocumentary.com. It sounds very important and very, like you said, very challenging, but I think maybe a lot of people will be able to empathize with it or sympathize and get some kind of cathartic feeling from watching it. Yeah, th that's the hope to just shine more light on mental health globally. It's so easy for people to talk about physical problems. You know, so-and-so just had a heart attack or, you know, so-and-so you know, has this problem or that problem. But as soon as we get into the mental world, it's kind of like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Or I don't know about that. Or, oh gosh, they're crazy. Isn't that mental institution stuff? And there just needs to be a lot more education about this because so many people are afflicted with it. And if it's not you, you know somebody. And, you know, like, let's stop making these crazy concoctions that will maybe help you or not. Like, let's get some more, more money invested into that arena. So we, you know, we've partnered up with some mental health organizations that are on board to help us get the message out in the right way as well. So where can we find you? Where can we keep updated with this project and anything else that you might be working on in the future? Um, I finally, I think, have gotten good at updating my main webpage of the latest news and updates. So it's just jenniferhutchins.com. Well, is there anything else that you're working on right now? Oh, you know, what's interesting, a year and a half ago, I uh, was brought on to develop a show for a big production company in Los Angeles. And so I flew there for three weeks and I got to develop the whole sort of pitch packet and um, reel for the show concept. And uh, part of it was discovering the people that might end up as the main characters in the show, which were millionaire billionaires in real estate. I always thought, oh God, that was such a good co show concept. And um, I, almost a year and a half went by and it was this fall, my buddy who, who I did this with called me and he said, you'll never believe this, but the show has been greenlit and it's been sold to Netflix. So we're, thinking that they're going to start pre-production in quarter two on that. So we're kind of standby to hear about that. But, yeah. you know, uh, you know, also just working to help out, the, you know, women in film causes uh, here and globally. Producers are 18% now, which is still not a female producers. Um, mm -hmm. I think when I started, it was nine, maybe less. So, you know, I think still reminding all of us to take a look at all the resumes. And if your whole stack of resumes is men, ask for some referrals so that you can have an unbiased sort of thing. And, you know, maybe the best person for the position is a man on this thing, but at least look at, you know, 10 men, 10 women. Right. You can always have that stack for another position somewhere else or another show. Right. Right. So, yeah. and, you know, and I'm talking with some people too, I would love to figure out some uh, to help with childcare, you know, it's not just 
just women that are being affected with it. It's there's a lot of single dads out there now and couples that are both in the entertainment business. And, you know, we we budget for having these um, teachers and people on set for the actors um, that are minors. But, you know, we've also got crew that, you know, what do they do with their kids at two in the morning or three in the morning for some of these odd shoot times? And I think that there's more that we could do in that arena. I mean, we figured out how to increase our budgets by 20% sometimes with COVID right now. So maybe we could figure out how to increase our budget 5% having some childcare options. Yeah, I think that's an excellent idea. Well, it was awesome talking with you. Thank you so much for your time, Jennifer. Movie reviews. Hey y'all, let's talk about Nomadland. This film won so many Golden Globes, as it rightfully deserves. And Chloe Zhao is an incredible filmmaker. She wrote, produced, directed, and helped edit this film. She was the first Asian woman to win a Golden Globe ever. Nomadland is about a woman who loses everything in the Great Recession and ventures off in a van around America as a modern day nomad. Starring Frances McDormand as Fern. This is such a realistic and beautifully put together film. As many of you know, if you've listened to the podcast, I love trivia and I find a lot of the trivia on IMDb and IMDb says that Frances McDormand and David Strathairn are two of the only professional actors in the film. The rest are either real nomads or local people. Y'all, these are real people telling their real stories. It's just, it blows my mind. And I'll be honest, I was born in 1997. I wasn't even sure what a nomad was until I saw this movie. And by all means, being a nomad is not romanticized in this film. To me, this is a mix of a documentary and a drama. The movie really shows you that life is what you make it and the people in this movie are happy and that just makes me really happy because everyone is unique and different and life is way too short to be miserable. The shot where Fern is walking in the field and the sky looks like cotton candy, that's my favorite. When Fern goes to visit her sister and everyone's having a conversation about real estate, you really feel for her because she unfortunately lost her house and she's doing everything she can to stay afloat and stay positive and the other people just don't understand. I'm sure we've all been in situations like this. One more thing, Ludovico Einaudi's work on the composition was magnificent. It just flowed so well with the story and I found some of his stuff on YouTube and I'm definitely going to be giving it a listen. I can't wait to see what Chloe Zhao has coming out in the future. See you down the road. Member Spotlight. This episode's WIFT Member Spotlight is Summer Hart, a Texas State University student majoring in theater with a film concentration, and someone you may be familiar with because she does our movie reviews for the show. Welcome, Summer. Thank you so much for having me. First, we'd love to hear your perspective as a student. What made you want to be involved in an organization like WIFT? Well, um, yes, I've been a Texas State student for quite some time now, and I'm always trying to find new opportunities to get involved, whether it's student films or film club. This just came at the perfect time. 
How did you get involved with WIFT? My business of film teacher, Elizabeth Buckley, she sent an email at the end of the semester saying, WIFT is coming out with a podcast. If you want to join, email Kelly Coffee. And I immediately in the middle of class was like, I'm going to email my resume right now. And I did. And <laughs> Kelly answered back almost immediately. It, per- it was perfect. It worked out. Well, we are so happy that, you know, you moved so quickly because I I think it also aligned with like the the holiday break last year, which was right when we were heating up and we were like, well, we've got all these volunteers. Let's do it. So that's that's really what got us the 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 forward moving momentum so early. So glad you did that. Glad you jumped on it. Yes. Thank you guys for sending that information. (laughs) I would never have honestly known about it if it wasn't for Betty and I. And she's such a great teacher too. She, after classes, she's like, I want you to email me. I want you to, Mm -hmm. if you need help with anything, reach out. And I was like, yes, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be surprised. There's a lot of students who don't take those opportunities. So that's a good sign for you, Summer, for sure. (laughs) So what are you working on now? Well, I'm just going through school, trying to keep my grades up as well as do the movie reviews, which is so fun and work with Kiara on the social media posts for the podcast. So it's not too much, but just trying to keep busy with stuff like that, I guess. Where do you see your career in 10 years? Fingers crossed I'm in Canada. Um, That's my dream. The dream is to be in Canada and working as a second AC with a production company in film and television. Well, if there's any Canadians out there who want to connect with Summer and start that networking, she's in college and would love that. (laughs) I'm going to speak for you, Summer. Yes, thank you. (laughs) That's so great. Well, how can people find your work and get in touch with you? Well, I have an Instagram. My Instagram is S underscore heart, H-E-A-R-T, 1997. Please shoot me a DM, message me. I love talking about film and we could just talk for hours about it. So I, mm-hmm. please do that. That would be great. And I'm really excited to connect with you all. Thanks for taking the time to share with us today. Becoming a member of WIFT Austin gives you access to a wide network of people like Summer, discounts on events and services, and plenty of chances to advocate for female identifying folks in the industry. If you're interested in learning more about how to become a member, visit wiftaustin.com slash memberships. Entertainment news. This is Kelly Coffee bringing you some entertainment news. Kristen Wiig and Annie Malomo are doing it again, this time for Disney. The duo known for Bridesmaid and Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar are teaming up with Disney for a live action pick reimagined about Cinderella's evil stepsisters. The as-yet-untitled pick is described as a musical comedy of the classic fairy tale Cinderella from the point of view of her infamous evil stepsisters Anastasia and Drizella as they struggle to uphold their family's legacy. It is unknown whether Wig or Malumo will act in the film. The PBS documentary Point of View just landed broadcasting rights to Emily Kohan Abenez's documentary film Fruits of Labor following its world premiere at the South by Southwest Film Festival. Fruits of Labor tells the story of Ashley Solis, a Mexican-American teenager living in an agricultural town in California who dreams of graduating high school and going to college but is forced to become the breadwinner of her family working two jobs when ICE raids her community. 
Ibanez, who earned her doctorate in anthropology with a certificate in culture and media at New York University, has had her film screened at Bogota's International Film Festival, the Santa Fe Independent Film Festival, and the Roxy Theaters in San Francisco. And finally, world champion tennis player Serena Williams can add TV producer to her resume. The 23-time Grand Slam winner has just inked a first-look television deal with the Amazon Studios to produce scripted and unscripted projects. The first project will be a docuseries about Williams' personal and professional lives, which she is also set to executive produce. Williams states that she is very excited to be partnering with Amazon Studios and that they are developing some of the most inspiring and important content for a global audience. And she's also said that she has lots of stories to tell, including her own. And that's it for entertainment news. Until next time. This episode of the WIFT Austin podcast was produced by Kelly Coffey and Chantel James. Our editors are Shannon Steffen and Valerie Torres. Summer Hart is our movie review critic. You can find us on the web at WIFTAustin.com and on social media at WIFTAustin. Thanks for listening, everybody.